This podcast contains real talk about the mayhem of motherhood, along with a weekly medical mystery. Because all of these topics can be pretty graphic, and because we use explicit language, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Motherhood, Mayhem, and Medical Mysteries podcast. On this show, we are not attempting to solve the major medical mysteries of the world or tell you how to raise your kids. We are definitely not doctors or scientists of any kind. We are just two moms here to provide you with support, resources, and maybe a few laughs along the way. We do a lot of research and will definitely share the things we learn, but please talk to a professional if you have specific concerns about your experiences. Here's Miranda, whose alma mater is Maryville College, not to be confused with Maryville University, who advertises everywhere. Thank you for making that distinction. Myself and my fellow alums appreciate it. And that is my friend Mel, who once flirted her way through a three-course meal at a five-star restaurant in Charleston. I was so impressed. I was so impressed. I don't think we paid anything for that meal because you just turned it on, baby. I I can't even take credit. I was just name-dropping my hubby. (laughs) Who knew that works? I guess Always it worth does. a try. I guess it does. <laughs> okay, Melanie, I heard you really like injured yourself this week, but you weren't going to tell me what happened because you said you wanted to save it for the podcast. So I, I feel I, like now's the time. Also, I, I just I just want to throw it out there. Um, we're recording in the morning, so this is like completely yeah. thrown off for <clears> us. <throat> we're we're like coffee morning early girls right now doing this, and I feel a little disjointed. So I have rum chata in my in my coffee. Um, um, I just so put I can get in the spirit. Extra ready whip in mine, which seems fancy. <laughs> um, it works. Yeah. So what happened to you? What okay. happened? Well, I did want to tell you because I feel like it is a really really good evidence of the mayhem that are our lives you know it's it's a good story for that my foot is fine much better than it was did Uh, you step on a george foreman grill oh no no i definitely (laughs) didn't and i didn't wrap it in bubble wrap either but um okay so i i know that you all are going to understand where i'm coming from on this so our house is older so i'm not sure that this particular type of cabinet exists in current houses but we have one of those double cabinets that opens and then it has like slide out trays yeah yeah you know, like, like a pantry kind of thing. Yeah. Are you talking but, about the one under your coffee maker that slides yes, out? Yes, the one under the coffee maker. Okay. I'm familiar. Okay. I'm familiar. Well, and, and we also have an eight-year-old, so and that's where all the snacks are. So those particular drawers are opened a lot. Mm. And then the slide-outs hit the cupboard door mm, when they come yeah. out if you don't open them all the way, which what eight-year-old opens Nobody's anything all the way. That. Right. Anyway, so my husband and I have been back and forth for a while about how we really need to fix this one 
cupboard door that is like clearly loose like we keep tightening the screws but they come right on undone they're like stripped in the cabinet like it's just not not even even catching anything or it looked almost like the um the screw holes had like wiggled themselves to like being too loose you know Mm -hmm. what i mean oh yeah. yeah so we had talked several times and i was like yeah we really need to like get that wood filler and like fill those right. and then kind of like start fresh sort mm-hmm. of right mm-hmm. several times we had the conversation i'm sure all of you married folks or people oh, in relationships yes, can understand mm-hmm. this has been discussed multiple times ad nauseum with your husband indeed i had even stated well all we need is that wood filler that we used at the condo Mm. I mean, I was just shy of telling him what aisle it's on at Lowe's, which is, by the way, across the street. (laughs) This is an important fact. But but what you're saying is it's not like we need to hire a carpenter to come in and fix this. The screw's coming loose. Put some wood filler behind it. Screw it back in and let's all get on with our lives. It's like a a 20-minute repair, if that. I mean... Counting the time to go to Lowe's, it, it might be 30 <laughs> minutes. I, well, you'd have to let it dry, but, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So we had discussed several times. Well, Miranda, as you know, my mom has had some health troubles lately, so mm-hmm. I, I hadn't talked to her for a few days. I had been texting back and forth with my dad, and I had finally called my mom the other evening, so I'm on the phone with her. But as I said, she's been having some struggles lately, so I was... You know, just trying to have a normal conversation. Mm -hmm. I go to open said cupboard. And I don't even know. I would have argued that this couldn't happen. The entire thing flew off. Oh, Like all four of the screws popped out. And the solid wood cabinet door landed on top of my foot. Ow. Ow, 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 ow. While I'm on the phone with my mother, and so I, like, don't want to scream. So I, like, (laughs) I silently had the most dramatic arm flailing, like, reaction that I've ever had. Oh, my gosh, I can see it. (laughs) If there had been a camera, it would have been epic, honestly. Bless you. Bless you. It hurts so bad. Yeah, because there's, like, no cushion on the top of your foot. No, and it hit right on that... um, there's that one tendon that goes down to like your big toe. Oh yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. And those pie. cabinets, oh, you know, one benefit pie. of having a house built in the eighties, those cabinets are solid wood. Solid wood, baby. Just which is great right down. until it lands on your oh, foot. Oh, oh Mel. Jeez. So let so me what tell did you y'all. Do? Uh, yeah. Okay. Let me tell you oh, all what I did. I channeled the rage from how badly I had hurt my foot. Mm -hmm. And after I got off the phone with my mom, I was out in our laundry room where we have all of our, like, tools and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I dug through these bins and found four of the longest screws that are also silver. Uh And I hand screwed them through wood that hasn't even been screwed into yet. I mean, the... (laughs) (laughs) Why didn't you use a drill, by the way? 
I was so mad. I needed to get. I needed to get you, the rage you, out. You were the drill. You were. I the drill. was the drill. Wow. And I. I just needless to say, there was no wood filler involved. But I don't think that that cabinet door is going anywhere. So what did you tell Jer? Oh, I told him I rage screwed it. And it, I was disappointed by his reaction. I expected it, that he might feel bad or, mm-hmm. you know, some like, remorse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm, no. Really? Oh no, my gosh. not really. I mean, he was yeah. worried about me. He was concerned. Right. But, the, you know, that's oh, just how wow. it goes sometimes. Oh, I think he gosh. looked at it as a shared, we need to. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. I 100% understand. But here's here's what happened at the end of the day. You fixed it. You fixed I did. it. You fixed things. You do a good job with that. I'm impressed. I, I try. So how was your foot feeling this morning? Well, it had one heck of a bruise on it. I'm um, sure it was all swollen up. Yeah, it really was. But it's it's looking much better now. You know, we've gone through the phases. It was it was blue. Now it's kind of like a dark purple. So I think we're getting there. Mm. That's that's what it, you know the exciting life of of home ownership and and marriage. Yeah. Yeah. So Miranda, what is our motherhood topic for this episode? So this episode, this early morning episode where I am like still trying to get We're struggling, myself folks. Away. We're struggling. <laughs> This is not my time to shine. I wanted to share um, a book that I checked out called The Intuitive Parent, Why the Best Thing for Your Child is You by Stephen Camarata, Camarata, which I I just thought was like the coolest last name I've ever heard. Like, I kind of wish my last name was Camarata. Miranda Camarata. Oh, my gosh. How cool would that be? I'm okay, here for listen, it. Okay, you're already married. Keep keep moving. <laughs> I could still change my last name and That's stay true. married. That's it's, true. You, you know, could it's, be... a free, it's a free country. I could be Banana Hammock if I wanted to. Queen Miranda Co- Banana Hammock. Love. <laughs> anyway, this, this book is really interesting. Again, you know me. I like to kind of research like a spectrum of different parenting things and child psychology and all of this. I will say this one's a little bit further outside of my realm of parenting personally, but the more research I did, um, the more it kind of grew on me. And um, I really have a lot of respect for the author, for Stephen Camarata. His background is working with children with um, autism spectrum, um, Down syndrome, and a lot of developmental disorders. And you know, like my heart's just in working with kids with special needs. And really what he wants to do is uh, address like the growing rates of anxiety and guilt among parents about parenting. And Well, there's a lot of that. A lot of that. And he himself has seven kids. So I'm like, okay. Oh. He knows what he's doing. He's been around the block a time or two. I guess I can kind of relate to where he's coming from because it's like nowadays information is just so easy to get your hands on. And I feel like we as parents give ourselves these complexes because we're like, oh my gosh, there's this method or this method or this method. And maybe I'm going to try this method and I have to be the best parent ever and blah, blah, blah. And it's like we put all this pressure on ourselves. And the main thing I appreciate about this book is he's like, 
forget about that. <laughs> forget about that. Just be present with your kids, you know, and enjoy the time that you have with them. Focus on your child, enjoy the moment, and just react naturally, you know, to, to what your your child is doing. It, it does kind of get like a little, in, in my opinion, it gets a little woo-woo because um, I'm, <laughs> I'm like a big believer in like structure and routines and like making sure that you set your kid up with, you know, some pretty firm expectations, just me personally. But this book is kind of about being in tune with your inner parenting voice, understanding there's no one size fits all approach, uh, responding to your child's interest and curiosity, wanting to really just have like positive and and optimistic interactions with your kids. So like, I'm not saying that this is bad. It's really, really good. It's just a way looser framework than a lot of the methods that you see. And again, I think that's where a lot of the anxiety kind of stems from, you know, right? my girlfriend, um, that, that lives here in town, you know, she just, uh, her, she had her baby back in the summer. So her baby's about eight months or so now, a little older than that. I remember when I first went over to visit her, when her son was born, she had her phone out and she's like recording every single feeding, every single diaper change, every single interesting thing that her baby did. How long was he sleeping? How many ounces did he take? Um, did he pee? Did he poop? Like what was going on? I didn't make a comment on that because, <laughs> you know, when you are a, a very brand new parent, you're doing everything you can to just stay awake and figure it out, right? Yeah. Um, so I um, actually happened upon, I was cleaning a week or so ago, and I happened upon a notebook that was that notebook. Really? That, oh my gosh. Now, and I mean, I can't speak to your friend, but for me, it was just, <laughs> that period of time for me was complete and sheer insanity. Chaos. And I was so Chaos. tired mm-hmm. that I feel like I was largely writing that down so that future me would remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it does. It goes by so fast. And we were just tracking like, feedings, like, yeah. because otherwise I, w- I, I was delusional, I feel right, like. Right, <laughs> How much did you eat? When was the last time I fed you? I have to keep you alive. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, exactly. She, she went into a lot of detail, but it was funny because I seen her at a party a couple weeks ago and she mentioned something about that. And she was like, yeah, I can't believe that I was so fixated on that. And now it's like I've just really relaxed and I'm just enjoying spending time with my baby instead of stressing about logging all of his activities. Yeah. And so that's kind of where um, where this framework fills in. And really, you can't even call it a framework because it's kind of like the anti-framework. <laughs> it's It's really just like hang out with your kid be a be a co-learning partner with your kid and just you know encourage their their own curiosity so I want to get into this you knew that this was going to happen eventually Melanie because you know that I am just a geek when it comes to the brain and especially like a child's developing brain so oh I'm, boy I want to apologize up, everybody. in advance I want to apologize in advance pour yourself some coffee girl because I'm going to talk about neurons today mm. <laughs> because I feel like that is what actually substantiates a lot of this book is is understanding again how your child's brain works because we can talk about woo-woo emotional you know oh my gosh just be in tune with your child and look into their eyes and you know have this moment but you have to understand kind of the the hard science behind all of that too so I want to try to bridge that gap with with this Dr. Camarata did a wonderful job outlining all of this here too so just a little bit more about intuitive parenting it allows you to concentrate on being a 
learning partner rather than a taskmaster. And I love this part. It helps you resist the panic that comes with thinking there are other things or more things that you should be teaching your child at a given moment, which I know for me, like raising a child with a disability has always been kind of in the back of my mind is like, oh my gosh, is he doing what he's supposed to do? Is he meeting his uh, milestones? You know, and you get so um, Mm -hmm. twisted up and, and anxious about that. And it's kind of just like, relax, just pick up on your child's signals, go from there. Don't hyper focus on what to do, but let your child just explore the world and just be curious and just encourage that curiosity. So he talks about, you know, you don't ever want to inadvertently box your child in or try to make them somebody that they're not. So I kind of like that. So again, let's just jump right in and talk about why this works from a neuroscientific brain development standpoint. What we need to do, and this is like from the time that your child is an infant all the way up until like they are in high school. Like this is all the time what's going on. The way that our brains work is there are neurons in our brains. These are the cells that are communicating electrical information and making sense of all of this for us to understand the world. So a neuron, it kind of looks like a string with a big fuzzy ball on one side and like another fuzzy ball on the other side. The fuzzy ball at the bottom is like the axon terminal and then um, there's like the the string in the middle is the axon. That's the part we're going to talk about a lot today. And then that goes out to the, the next fuzzy ball, which is the dendrite. And these things are all just strung together and connected in our brains. There's chemicals that are involved with this. They vary the amount of electricity that's needed. So depending on what's chemically happening in our brain, sometimes those signals are going to be stronger or weaker. You know, when we're very first born, there's like billions of brain cells going on in there, but they're not really organized. And as we grow and develop, it's like they kind of form these you know, structures and they kind of get in these little um, patterns and they get more organized. And by the time you graduate high school and really by the time you're about mid-20s, those, those pathways are pretty much more or less uh, set. So information is traveling through. It comes from the dendrite, which is the the big puffy ball at the top, and it goes all the way down that axon to the axon terminal down to the next dendrite. As we use neurons more and more, just like any other muscle in your body, they get stronger, right? So, um, you know, if you're working out a certain neural pathway, if you're working out a certain pattern of thinking, that's just going to get stronger and stronger. And the way that that happens is with this thing called the myelin sheath. And I'm sure everybody's heard that term from like when you were in school, but that's like this fatty layer around the middle of that dendrite or around the middle of that neuron, excuse me. And as, you know, that neuron is getting used more and more, that myelin sheath is getting fattier and fattier and fattier. And as it does that, it speeds up the electrical transmission because it works as like an insulator, basically, so that electricity just moves more quickly through that neuron to the next. Um, This whole process is called myelinization, which is like the coolest word ever. Myelinization. Oh, my gosh. Like, I want to open like a club called Club Myelinization. I it feel like people really are cool. going to argue about how to say it because I've Probably. heard people say myelinization, which is, my, doesn't sound as cool. Myelinization, myelinization. <laughs> I love your, I love how you just did like neuroscience 101. 
Yeah, there it is. And and you've got to understand how this works if you want to understand how your brain yeah. works. You know, another term that we hear a lot these days that's kicked around in the world of psychology is neuroplasticity. I know yes. you know what that means, Melanie. So I'm going to like shut up for a second and let you tell everybody what it means. <laughs> Well, nothing like putting me on the spot, huh? I know. I, I got to drink some more coffee over here, girl. I'm <laughs> falling down. <laughs> well, I'm going to preface this with the word I think. I think neuroplasticity is the uh, essentially like the flexibility of your brain to like learn or accept or do new things. That's it. That's all there it is. There we go. Okay. That's exactly it. Because the thing is, like, your brain isn't set in stone. It's not a bone structure. You need to think about your brain like a muscle. And again, as you do, as you use different muscles, those muscles get stronger. It's just like in yoga. We we both do yoga. And when we focus on different muscle groups and mm-hmm. we get in tune with those muscle groups, now all of a sudden we're using them in a more conscious way. And even in doing that, it's changing the, the neural structure of our brains. It's, it's crazy how it all works out. But this is why like cognitive behavior therapy works and, right. and positive self talk works and people can take different medicines and different things for different mental health issues like uh, bipolar disorder and even like depression and anxiety and all these things because our brains are responsive. They're chemically responsive um, to these different subtle changes and it changes the neural pathways and neural structures of our own thinking and how we feel and all of these crazy amazing things. It's it's really fascinating to me how it all works. The myelin sheath here is is really the the critical point in all of that when it comes to neuroplasticity because at that point you're making a decision to hey instead of thinking this way I'm going to change the way I think and think this way instead and when I do that I'm making those pathways stronger so they're going to be used more frequently in the future you know there's a lot of research right now out there Angela Duckworth does a lot Um, Carol Dweck was kind of the pioneer of this but about like having a growth mindset and just having this sense that, hey, I have the power over my brain. I can control the way that I think and perceive the world and all this awesome stuff. So So, just to clarify, mm -hmm. if I might interject for a second, but to clarify for anyone who might be confused out there, neuroplasticity is a positive thing, right? Yes. We want neuroplasticity. We don't want set pathways that are unwilling to do anything else. We Mm -hmm. want it to be as flexible as possible. Correct? 100%. Okay. 100%. And that's where, you know, we get into all these comments and the conversations about nature versus nurture and all of this. Well, neuroplasticity is the principle that we can retrain our neurons. And the more more they're used, the stronger they're getting. So we have those neural pathways um, established. Okay. Now, all of that background and context to basically essentially say that when it comes to intuitive parenting, the real premise of it is whatever neural pathway your child is on, whatever kind of learning track that they're on, we can encourage those neural pathways to grow and get stronger by just responding to that instead of trying to say, oh, no, come over here. You need to learn this. And it kind of ties back in with like Maria Montessori because that's learner led education. So whatever the child is interested in learning at the time, you just let the child kind of do their thing and, and learn about it, you know, as long and as much as they want to, instead of trying to take them out of that learning and force them into some other type of learning. 
So Okay. That that makes sense. Yeah. So so this is why this type of parenting works is because you are following along and developing the neural pathways that are already in construction or under construction instead of interrupting that and then moving your child into something else. So and really this comes into play a lot with um with infants. I know um I'm guilty. I'm sure plenty of moms out there are guilty. So when it was COVID and my husband and I were both working from home, we of course had my son pulled out of daycare and we had him at home with us. And I like, <laughs> you know how I am, Melanie. Melanie calls me Leslie Nope because I, <laughs> yes, I do. I, I do I know how you are. Away. But I was like, I'm going to take this opportunity to create this wonderful learning itinerary for my two-year-old, right? That sounds so, like you, yes. So I've like got, you know, Fisher at home and I'm like, okay, from 10 to 10.30, we're going to sing nursery rhymes. From 10.30 to 11, we're going to read a book. From 12 to 12.30, you know, we're going to do this, whatever. Like I had the whole day planned out. And while that's really awesome that like I'm trying to give him exposure and, um, you know, get him engaged in all these different activities, what probably would have been better from a neurodevelopment standpoint is like, oh, hey, my child's playing with this pan on the floor and he seems pretty into it. Let me just leave him over there playing with the pan on the floor for a little bit because he's probably learning something. <laughs> and I feel like I must say when you were running through that schedule, I, this is a podcast so the listeners cannot see me, but I couldn't contain the eye roll that I had when you were initially doing this idea because... That level of structure, at least in my opinion, and a two-year-old do not mix. Mm-mm, no, no, they really don't. They really don't. And again, this is why we have to figure things out. And, you know, raising your kids is just one big experiment. But a hundred percent, one giant experiment. And you learned that level of structure and two-year-olds do not yeah. really work. Yeah. <laughs> And, and it was so funny because I remember one day I like pulled him into the living room because it was going to be nursery rhyme time. And I oh, even boy. as a two-year-old, he's just looking at me like, Mom, this is not working. <laughs> he had this little expression on his face like, this is not fun for me. So, so the whole premise of this is instead of like forcing our kids into these regimens and trying to get them into all of these things, if we let them kind of just naturally learn and explore the world, they're developing these neural pathways anyway. They're learning in their own way. And of course, you know, there's critical periods in there and, uh, you know, children are going to need different things at different times. We've talked about that a lot. I have so much information here about the brain. I'm not going to go into all of it today because, again, it's early in the morning and I'm still making it through my coffee. But let me finish up with just kind of two little things here. One thing that is overly emphasized in Dr. Camarada's book is don't stress about milestones. Do not stress about milestones. And I was the kind of mom who really overstressed about this, you know, oh my God, my child's three and a half and he can't hop two times on one foot. I've failed him. You know, it's like you, you get into these really negative thinking patterns as a parent and then you're screwing 
up your own neural pathways <laughs> instead of thinking right. positively about, you know, your experience with your child. So milestones are so arbitrary. Every kid is so different and there's so much overlap there. You know, there's no cut and dry, turn on, turn off switch. Everything's more blended. It's like a watercolor. One of the things I'll talk about later is just how much uh, predicting intelligence based on early milestones is like not even really a thing, you know? All those yeah. tests and screenings they make you do in kindergarten and they make you do these little IQ tests and all this stuff, they are really not predictors of long-term intelligence at all. So don't stress about it. And I just want to end on a quote from his book. He says, no typically developing child is above average or below average in all phases of development. Child development should be focused on nurturing curiosity, responding to the child's interest, and helping each one to develop fluid reasoning and problem-solving skills. And um, we'll definitely talk about that in later episodes, but just kind of wanted to lay that out to get us started today and thinking about, you know, maybe not stressing so much about, uh, is my child doing this or that? And what do I need to be doing? And all of these fun, wonderful things. So... All right, now that I've bored us all to tears talking about brain stuff, <laughs> maybe you can pick us back up and talk about a medical mystery today. Well, ironically and honestly unplanned, my medical mystery also has something to do with the brain. Oh, great. Sorry, guys. No, no dendrites, <laughs> axons, none of that. We're not going to talk. We're not going to get that detailed. Not but today we myelinization. I'm, I'm not. But today we're going to talk about migraines. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And you know, can I just say, growing up in the country, rural Appalachia, the first time I heard about a migraine, um, the person who was telling me about it called it a mind grain. And oh. as, in, as in like something's gra- like graining on my mind or something. I don't even know how to explain it, but I always a thought that it was a grain. I always thought it was a mind grain. Yeah. You and, got um, one of them there, mind grains. I got one of them mind grains. Yep. Mm-hmm. I actually really like that. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. So as I always do, let's start off with a definition. A migraine is a neurologic disorder that often causes a strong headache. Neurology. The headache comes in episodes and Mm. often comes with nausea, vomiting, and sensitivity to light. That part doesn't sound fun. None of it sounds Ugh. fun. And and I feel yes. pretty certain that all of us know someone who struggles with m- migraines or mind grains, or mind grains de- yeah. depending on where you live. <laughs> so I kind of wanted to talk about it a little bit and, you know, kind of see what we can learn. Migraines are different for everyone. In many people, it happens in stages. And I'll be honest with you, I had never heard of all of these stages before. So hmm. I'm going to gloss over these kind of quickly. But yeah, I didn't know the, there were stages either. I thought you I just didn't either. Like, had a migraine. <laughs> exactly. So there's this pre-stage, which is called the prodrome. Whoa. P-R-O-D-R-O-M-E. It, that can happen either hours or days before the headache. Huh. Uh, about 60% of people who have migraines actually have this phase. Huh. And it's sort of like when everything starts. Like you're really tired, you're grumpy, you're very thirsty. There may even be like what? constipation, diarrhea. Oh my gosh. And this, the sensitivity to light typically starts 
in that in that phase. Prodrum. So, prodrum. Prodrum. Okay. Prodrum. 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 I, I'm not sure. <laughs> tomato, tomato. The next one I had heard of. So the second phase is called an aura. Oh. Yeah. Not like and, the kind of aura that I'm familiar with. A-U-R-A. Okay. So these symptoms stem from your nervous system and often involve your vision. So they usually start gradually over like a five to 20 minute period of time and last less than an hour. But during this time, you may see black dots, wavy lines, flashes of lights, and even things that aren't there, like hallucination kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, Some people have tunnel vision or tingling or numbness. And sometimes folks aren't even able to speak clearly Hmm. during that part. I'm sure if all that's going on, I don't think I'd be able to speak either. Ringing in your ears. Mm. Notice and changes in taste, smell, touch. So a lot of neurological kind of stuff going on Yeah, like your senses are just kind of scrambled almost. It's like your sensory system is just short-circuiting or something. Exactly. So those two phases are before what you and I thought was the only phase, which they actually call the attack. And that's where you actually have the migraine headache. And Which attack often, is the right word from attack. everyone. It is, I've it is heard. an attack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the migraine headache often begins as a dull ache and then grows into a throbbing pain. And it can be on one side of the head or the other. It can be in the front. It can be in the back. And I didn't, this surprised me, but about 80% of people who have migraines are nauseous during this part. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Like, it will make you, like, throw up. And a typical migraine headache lasts for about four hours, Mm. but folks who have severe ones, they can go on for more than three days. Oh, wow. Which sounds absolutely terrible. Yeah, no. So some people get migraine headaches every few days, and others get them once or twice a year. So it really varies. There's a a lot of variance within all of this. Okay, so following the attack phase is the final phase or stage, which is called the postdrome. Okay. So that's kind of, you know, it kind of like builds. And then this is the after period where you don't have the headache anymore, but you're like really tired exhausted, cranky, you're, you know, you have some muscle pain, weakness, lack of appetite, that kind of thing. So quite a process, really, Mm -hmm. when you when you break it down. Well, and it sounds like it could last a long time. Like it's almost like it could be building for like, you know, a week. And then you have, you know, the actual attack for, you know, could be a couple hours, could be a couple days. And then, you know, all of that recovery, you know, from going through all of that yeah. takes a lot out of you, I'm sure. Exactly. Mm. So here's the thing. This really and truly is a medical mystery. Doctors do not know the exact cause of migraine headaches. They seem to be related in changes in your brain, and they feel like there may be some sort of genetic component, as often migraines run in families. Yeah, yeah. 
for many years, scientists have thought that migraines happened because of changes in the blood flow in the brain, hmm. uh, which still may be true, but they're not certain what triggers that to start. The current thinking from most studies that I looked at is that migraines likely start from overactive nerve cells. So here, okay. I'm tying it back to your yeah, segment. Yeah, there we go. The overactive nerve cells send signals out that trigger your trigeminal nerve. What? Which, which is the nerve that gives sensation to your head and face. Oh, and then okay. once that's triggered, it cues your body to release chemicals that make the blood vessels swell. Mm-hmm. And then that's where the pain comes from. Gotcha. So, Wow. So it, that's, I thought that that was really interesting. I'm not going to go any more in depth than that, though. <laughs> I saw that's several articles with diagrams and I kept moving. What was that nerve called? The tri what? Trigeminal nerve. That... I think that's what TMJ is. Trigeminal. T- no, that's. Oh, yeah. Something. It's all tied together, though. It has to do with your head and your face. Yeah. It's and a nerve. lot of people I know that have TMJ also have migraines. Right. So, so maybe they are really yeah. <laughs> interesting. Okay. Now, risk factors. Bad news, ladies. Women have migraines three times more than men. Wowzers. Yeah. <laughs> Yet again. <laughs> One day I'll find something that women have less than men. I have prostate haven't done cancer. It. Prostate cancer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> haven't haven't erectile dysfunction. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll get to that. Maybe. More common in women, migraines are most common between the ages of 10 and 40. Okay. And women find that their migraines get better or go away after the age of 50. I'm sure it has a lot to do with hormones. And, and... We'll, we'll get to that here in just a second. Okay, um, I'm interested I, in that part for sure. So that sounds like after 50, you know, after menopause, postmenopausal women have fewer that, occurrences of migraines. That is what I inferred from that, yeah. Now, I mentioned family history. Four out of five people with migraines have a family member who also gets migraines. And this I thought was really interesting. If one parent has migraines, their child has a 50% chance of getting them. But if both parents have them, they have a 75% chance of, of getting migraines. Oh, man. So there definitely is some genetic component to it. Yeah. I don't feel, you know, that they've totally broken it down. Another risk factor, other medical conditions, folks who struggle with depression, anxiety, bipolar, sleep disorders, and epilepsy all have mm. higher risks of having migraines. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we're talking about about neurology we're talking about chemicals in your brain all of this stuff is going to be interrelated so that doesn't surprise me at all that there's some overlap between mental health and having migraines so one of the big things that they do with migraines is talk about the triggers because since they don't really know fully what's going on yeah they've sort of established a list of triggers and those are things that people should try to avoid if they're prone to migraines oh. i'm just going to list them here there are some very lengthy list, but I'm hitting the highlights. Hormone changes. We'll come back to that because I am going to talk about a menstrual migraine here in a minute, but hormone changes, stress, certain foods. Here's Mm. a weird list. Aged cheeses. (laughs) Aged cheeses, the old ones. Okay. Alcohol and certain food additives. Um, The ones I saw listed most often were nitrates, which Mm -hmm. are in things like 
lunch meats, yeah. hot dogs, uh-huh. um, pepperoni, yeah, and MSG. Those are I've on definitely the heard about yeah. MSG. Did you find anything when looking at foods about um, gluten? I didn't. Okay, not a single thing. Okay, interesting. <laughs> Although okay. I didn't specifically, I didn't seek it out. But skipping meals, a lot of people who are prone to migraines need to eat regularly, and if they skip meals, that can be a trigger. Yeah, caffeine, getting too much or not getting enough. So it's a fine balance there. Right. If you're well, a person who regularly takes in caffeine and you suddenly don't, that can trigger mm-hmm. it. Gotcha. Because don't a lot of like even Excedrin and like headache medicines and stuff, they have caffeine in them, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that has to do with the vasodilation, like the oh. blood vessels. Huh. Yeah. Um, so caffeine change- restricts the, the blood vessels, right? I believe. I think so. I think so, that's right. And But because the migraine, they think, comes from them being too... Too swollen. So the caffeine yeah. kind of restricts it down. So another thing then that would probably maybe be good and I don't know message us listeners if you're a smoker and um, smoking helps did you see anything about that stop (laughs) sorry I'm thinking about I'm thinking about what constricts your blood vessels over here and I know nicotine does well here's the the rest of the list of triggers changes in weather like storm storms where the barometric pressure changes a lot Mm. uh, changes in altitude loud noises, bright lights, strong smells. Those are often triggers. Mm. Medications. It lists specifically vasodilators. So that would be for folks that are, you know, having some treatment for coronary artery disease or or blood pressure. Some Mm. of those vasodilators that they are prescribed can really trigger migraines. Physical activity, including all types of exercise, Tobacco is on here. So it's, it's, I feel like it's one of those things like with everything. For some people, this is a trigger, but for other people, this is not. You know, yeah. it, all, it all depends. Sure. And then changes in your sleep. You might, um, you might trigger a migraine if you either sleep too much or not enough. Types. Going to talk about the types just here for a second because I think that's kind of important. Some of these were a real surprise to me. I did not know there were so many types of migraines. The most common migraine is what's called a classic migraine. And that's a migraine where you have the aura, the the light sensitivity and all of that. Yeah. The second most <laughs> the second most common <clears throat> is called a common migraine. Okay. Now, you would think that might be the first. <laughs> but anyway, that is a migraine without the the aura part. And I, mm. I told you all about those in, a second ago here. But the menstrual migraine, that is one thing that I really wanted to touch on for all of our mom listeners out there. This is when the headache is linked to your period. And this happens differently with everyone. But they usually occur about two days before your period starts and last up to three days after. Ooh-wee. So I don't know about y'all because everybody's different, but that would be over a week for many people. Yeah. Bless you, ladies. Uh, Yeah. So that, of course, has to do a lot with um, hormones, Obviously, there's other types. There's one called the silent migraine, vestibular migraine. There's even a migraine that's called an abdominal migraine, which I had never heard of this. Wow, me but neither. that has no 
headache symptoms, but causes stomach pain, nausea, and vomiting. Huh. Weird, right? Very weird. But I guess it's all still kind of neurologically driven, must be. For sure. Now, there's a couple really serious types, and these, basically everything that I read were like, get to a doctor. Mm. And obviously, you should be discussing all of your migraines with your doctor, but a hemiplegic migraine, that's where it, like, you can almost lose the function in half of your body. So the symptoms of that are very easily confused with a stroke, but it is actually a type of migraine. And then there's ocular ones, which affect, like, your vision Mm -hmm. specifically. Mm -hmm. So there's so many types. But anyway, Mm -hmm. make sure you're talking to your doctor. Cures. Are migraines curable? It's a good question, right? It is. I don't know. They're not. I hate that answer. That's a terrible answer. It is a terrible answer. There are medications to prevent or stop them and keep your symptoms from getting worse. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit here in a second. But to date, there is no cure for migraines. Obviously, they do a lot of tests to establish whether or not what you're having is a migraine. Uh, They have to rule out other things. So there's a lot of it. it has to do with they'll take a family history and a personal history and go through what supplements or medications you're taking because a lot of times headaches can be a side effect. Yeah. They may do some blood tests and then sometimes they do MRIs or CTs or an EEG, which is where they're watching your brain brain waves just to figure out really what's going on. Now, since there's no cure, what can we do to treat them? The list is not as fun as I had hoped it would be. (sighs) A lot of... Pain relief, over-the-counter pain medications often work well for some people. You mentioned like Excedrin migraine. For some folks, that works right away, no problem. Uh, For others, you know, they have to try some other things. The one thing that I found a lot in research was it it said in many of these articles to be careful when you take over-the-counter pain medications because sometimes it'll add to the headache. Huh. Now, I didn't dig into that to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. But, you know, everything needs to be done carefully and cautiously. Definitely. A lot of times doctors will prescribe nausea medicine. I know on this podcast we've already mentioned several nausea-type medications, heartburn-type stuff. All of those can be prescribed to help with the symptoms of the nausea and that sort of thing. Yes, gastrointestinal There's some other types that help balance your brain chemicals, and I hadn't heard of those. It's classes called triptans or ergo to mean or gotta mean hmm. probably not saying that right but <gasps> that helps there's preventative medicines but from what i looked at they're they're really just using medications that are were created to treat other things yeah and that list includes seizure medications blood pressure medications some antidepressants Um, And I also saw Botox listed a lot. I've heard about that. Yeah, Yeah, I've heard that Botox. I wonder if that has to do with like the dilation stuff too. Interesting. I I would suppose that it would. Now, it's so funny. Like we're so advanced in society in general. It's like 2023. And this list of home remedies seems so basic to me. But this is the list that appeared almost everywhere. Rest with your eyes closed in a dark quiet room 
Mm, love it. Put a cool compress or ice pack on your forehead. Mm-hmm. And drink plenty of fluids. Always. Stay Always. hydrated. Yeah, stay <laughs> <Like> hydrated. <laughs> words to live by. <sighs> now, there are some other like complementary or alternative type treatments that they've been doing some studies on. Mm-hmm. There is a form of um, CBT that has shown some, you know, some improvement for some oh, folks. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Supplements. There's lots of supplements and lots of research being done there. Um, magnesium, riboflavin, coenzyme Q10, CBD, and melatonin have all been shown to help. For, okay. for Of course, different things work for right, different folks. Right. But, but it sounds like if you have some kind of deficiency, you can take a supplement and correct. that may improve symptoms chiropractic massage acupressure acupuncture those are all listed yeah and then one that i have seen a bunch of times and i couldn't find i actually looked because i wanted to see if there was any actual research to back this up uh-huh i might I wonder say if you're gonna wrong. say i wonder if you're gonna say what i think you're gonna say a dace piercing yes 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 <laughs> yes i looked so, many places i found no scientific proof but i have known a couple people uh-huh. that swear by it yep so my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law i guess migraines run in the family because they both have them really bad um, i know my sister-in-laws are more hormonally driven um, but she started doing research on the date piercing and it was like i don't know christmas eve one day we're all like oh let's go get you know let's go to the town tattoo parlor and get our dates pierced and you know me I'm not like I'm not going anywhere near a needle you're gonna pass out I will pass out and I almost passed out just watching my mother-in-law get hers done but um both my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law have seen a dramatic dramatic decrease in um the frequency of their migraines and the severity of their migraines after having gotten their um their dates pierced isn't that crazy that is crazy and for those of you who don't know and you're like over there like OMG, what's a Dave? It's um, <laughs> like, what are you yeah, talking about? Yeah, go ahead. About? <laughs> Please describe it to me because I was trying to figure out how to explain. Yeah, it's it's in your ear and it's it's um, a little, I guess it's a little flap of cartilage um, right on the outside of, of your ear. Um, there's like a little tab there. And like at the entrance to your ear. Correct. It's kind much. of up above your ear canal. It's like yeah. um, a little cartilage tab that kind of juts out above where your actual ear, you know, where you would not stick a Q-tip because that's not recommended by your doctor. But sometimes <laughs> I do it anyway because I hate to get water in my ears. And I hate that feeling. So every day I do it. Um, <laughs> we yeah. don't recommend well, no, it on this that's, podcast. That's very that's, dangerous. That's good to know, though. And yeah. I'm wondering, I, 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 like I said, I didn't research it because I knew I would already be talking for long enough. But um, I'm wondering if that has something to do with where they put the Botox as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Like, so obviously, there's a lot of research still to be done. The main advice is identify and avoid your triggers, mm. manage your stress, yeah. drink lots of drink fluids. water yes eat a healthy diet regularly exercise regularly um you know basically healthy healthy lifestyle one other little bit that i wanted to mention and i googled this and i now all of my ads on my social media are for <laughs> this device because oh, no. i googled it on my phone because i wanted to understand there are some new devices that they are doing kind of trial runs on. Mm-hmm. And there's one called 
Cephaly. C-E-F-A-L-Y. Okay. It is like a headband-like gadget that has this big piece that goes on the middle of your forehead. Huh. And like, if you look it up, yeah, it looks really silly. But uh-huh. if it works, I yeah. and I had migraines, I would try it myself. What it does is it sends electrical pulses mm-hmm. through the skin on your forehead. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking that that interferes with the signals that create migraines. Sure, yeah. So um, there's that. There's some other ones called um, Gamma Core, and that does Hmm. sort of the same thing. But that one actually triggers the vagus nerve. Oh. So, you know, it's definitely nerve-related. Yeah. But anyway, also a medical mystery. Wow. So y'all take care of yourselves mm-hmm. and always. be kind to your friends that might be struggling with migraines because always, it, it always. sounds like a tough road. Oh, yeah, definitely. Spotlight, spotlight. Do you got a spotlight? I do have a spotlight. And I took a bit of a departure from our standard spotlight. I found this really cool charity called Miles for Migraine. Their website is www.milesformigraine.org. For F-O-R or for the number four? F-O-R. Okay. Miles for Migraine is a registered nonprofit organization with the mission of improving the lives of people with migraine and other headache disorders and their families, as well as raising public awareness about the disease and helping to find a cure. They produce fun walk run events, typically a two-mile walk and a 5K race to raise money for fellowship programs that help alleviate the headache specialist shortage. Ooh. Yeah, I thought that was cool. I love that. I want to go run a 5K for migraines. Right, me too. And they're all over the country. Um, Okay. They also host adult and family education, social programs, and support groups. And one of their main goals is to remove the stigma of migraines. Mm, Love it, love it. Because it really is a debilitating condition, especially for those folks that have them regularly Mm -hmm. and all of that. And you can imagine a lot of people are terrible and are like, oh, she has a headache. Yep. Yep. (laughs) So. Oh, what have you got? Another migraine? Oh, another migraine. Well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I'm curled up in a ball on the floor because my head is killing me. So, yes. <laughs> exactly. So wow. again, that's milesformigraine.org. That. And I thought that sounded really cool. They have chapters all over the country. You know, maybe we'll run a 5K. Oh my gosh, yes. Let's go run a 5K, ladies. Join us. Join us. And if we see any races or anything, we'll like post about them on social media. Maybe we can all get together and go run. That would be so yeah, fun. Yeah, sounds good. Wow. I love how we had a whole entire episode about the brain accidentally. Accidentally, <laughs> was, we did. It's completely not planned, but uh, lots of lots of neurology over here, ladies. Lots of neurological uh, events happening. So, And I please hope- remember, as we said in our intro, we are not doctors. 100%. So. 
percent. We are not. We are just here to kind of share about things that we're interested in, probably a little too interested in from time to time. Hopefully this was a treat for your brains, listeners, and we love you so much. And thanks for listening to us. We're like, I guess what, this is maybe eight episodes in so far. Yeah. So episode eight. Wow. So keep following us, guys. Reach out to us on social media. Connect with us. We love to hear from you guys. And um, let us know if there's any topics or anything that you want to learn more about. We will um, gladly get out there and do some research, you know, share share what we learn with you guys. So take care of yourselves, ladies. Take care of yourselves and your babies if you have them. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, y'all. If you like what you hear from us, be sure to follow our show. And if you really like us, you can leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. We want to be friends with you. Connect with us on social media by following at Mother Mayhem Podcast or email us directly at mothermayhempodcast at gmail.com.